thing is uh clark was sitting here earlier and he was like who are you waiting for and i was like i'm waiting for dustin and he was like dustin and then my husband came up to get dressed because he had to go do something and he was like are you doing a podcast this afternoon and i was he and i was like yeah and he was like when and i was like as soon as dustin gets on and he goes dustin Beep, 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 kids. Uh, this is Mothers of Mayhem, an extreme horror podcast. <laughs> I understand if you might be slightly confused right now because this sweet gentleman right here is obviously not our Christina. This is Dusty Buns, also known in my house as Dusty. <laughs> Welcome to Dustin Whalen, my co-host for today. You can probably hear in my voice how hype I am about this. Well, I am uh, uh, Mr. Swan Dong. If she didn't uh, mention, do you mention that or not? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll never live that down. Everybody at work calls me that now. By the way. <gasps> Oh my God, that's fantastic. That is I'm secondary smart. gain that I could have never possibly even dreamed of. Right. Just because uh, I have big fat thumbs. I am so glad you do. So Dustin and I became friends because Dustin is a fellow book reviewer on TikTok known as at Captain Crippy. You need to go follow him. He is, of course, one of my personal favorites. More importantly, Dustin is the father of swan dongs. Oh, you were going to say that. See, I jumped ahead of you on that. No, that's okay. It's, it's important just... that because if it hadn't been for you and your dumb brain, that never would have happened. He always say how dumb I am. And she's like, no, no, uh-uh, this face. If Here's your dumb brain hadn't done that thing, then my dumb brain wouldn't have been like, we should make people write about that. <laughs> what a great writing. I'm so glad you oh. came along. Swan I get to penises. do this all because I have fat things. Fantastic. See, you never know. You never know what mistakes will get you. Crisis, crisis sometimes equals opportunity, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> I just go with stupidity. It gives me chances. Uh, yeah, it's great. Magical Mick Collins referred to them today on the Facebook group as magical fuck ups. <laughs> <laughs> magical fuck ups. I'm like, oh my God, we are so good at those. <laughs> oh, 40 years ago, that's what I've been doing. Woo, woo, woo. Me too. 42 years. Magical 42. fuck ups. Yep. 
42. <laughs> so, my precious dusty buns. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know how this happened, but <laughs> I mean, I kind of do. It started when I gave him a business card at AuthorCon in Virginia back in April for our podcast. But um, then somehow Brian Keene decided that he would actually agree to be on this dumb show. <laughs> and so now he's going to do that today. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i'll never forget that text message oh yeah yeah because when i knew christina was gonna be unable to make it you were the first person who popped into my brain when i was thinking of who else i could burden with this responsibility oh. <laughs> congratulations aren't you happy mm. I know yeah. you are. You're pretty I've stoked. I've never done this before. And she's like, you want to get your chair popped by some guy named Brian? It's like, sure. Brian Keene. That's no pressure at all. No, none whatsoever. He is most definitely not a masthead figure for modern right? independent horror. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about the godfathers of our genre as it is now, we definitely don't hear names like Ed Lee... Rath James White, Carlton exactly. Mellick, Richard Lehman, Brian Keen. <laughs> oh, what are we doing? <laughs> this man, this man has legit won two Bram Stoker Awards, a Shocker Award, the World Horror Grandmaster Award. He got Best Screenplay and Best Short Film at Imaginarium in 2015. He got an Imagine Award for Best Fantasy Novel. And he got a This Is Horror Award for the Best Nonfiction Podcast of the Year in 2017. <laughs> and now he's on our podcast. And I'm just an idiot sitting on a couch right now. <laughs> That's Look, what I am. I'm sitting on my bed in a mountain of squishmallows. This is a professional. This is a professional setup, my dude. <laughs> he's gonna be. He's gonna be so just gobsmacked by how oh, yeah. how amazing no we are. Yeah. <laughs> this man has so many published works. My brain got confused and lost count around two thirds of the way down his bibliography. And now he's going to talk to our dumbasses. I can add to this. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me. Not just a film writer. It's also creative material for popular franchises as Doctor Who. We both love Doctor Who. Holy shit. <laughs> Aliens, Harley Quinn, The X-Files, Doom Patrol, Justice League, Hellboy, Superman, Masters of the universe, which I grew up on. Oh, my God. oh you, <laughs> you and I are both Skeletor fanatics. Yes, <laughs> massive Skeletor fanatics. <laughs> <laughs> Great, that's fantastic. Don't you sass me, no, Dustin Whalen. I swear mm-hmm. to God, I'll kick your ass, <laughs> <laughs> Dustin. 
do you know how viral we could go with a video of a hugely pregnant woman chasing a man in a wheelchair down the middle of the street while she's screaming death threats? At that's him? two million. That's two million right there. We would be stars. <laughs> Why you gotta live so far away? This is well, our this is our big chance. If I start now. <laughs> couple days, couple days. <laughs> well, when I'll you get, get random here, strangers to push me when I'm too tired. You know? uh, by the time you get here, you'll be too tired to try and get down the street. I'll have to give you I'll some rest a, time. I'll <laughs> be a quadriplegic instead of a paraplegic. <laughs> yeah, worth it. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> That's the first thing I'll say at your doorstep. Worth it. Worth it. <laughs> well. To distract ourselves from what's about to happen, let's talk about something else. <laughs> Heart beating like ninety miles an hour. Oh, it's all right. It's okay. It's all right. Do you have any benzos? Take a zanny. Um, to just oh, well, the people already know what I've been reading, what I've been digging, but. I think it would be pretty awesome if you share what some of your favorite reads of 2022 have been so far, because I am constantly adding to my stupid, unmanageable TBR because of you. <laughs> so Sorry thanks. About that. share that pain with some other I'll people. I'll always share these thoughts, but then after I do it, I'm like, what I just said sounds terrible. No one will ever read the book that you just said to read because you did not sell it. And and everybody's like, oh my god, that sounds fantastic and I need to read it right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. See? Don't let the imposter syndrome get you down. Mm. Let's see. I feel like I'm on TikTok and I need to do the invert thing that I can't hear. I just uh, read Winter's Set Hollow by uh, Jonathan Edward Durham. This is my signed copy. I'm very excited to have my signed copy. Oh, that's awesome. What did you really like about Winterset Hollow? I found it to be very understated, but I really appreciated the book for what it was. What was it that you loved about it so much? It takes a long time to get started. I mean, I actually listen to it. It takes like three hours of them just visiting and all this. It takes a while to get started. But once they start getting hunted down, uh, spoiler, bad things happen in this book to people. I've never read anything like that in my life. Yeah. To go from to go from a complete fantasy to this horror novel where they're basically hunting people down for sport. I just like that in a fantasy setting. I never read that before. It was almost like a terrifying version of the wind in the willows. It was yes. like a nightmare version of wind That's absolutely in the willows. What it, was. <laughs> it really is a remarkable book. I loved it. He set the bar high for himself, didn't he? Yeah, that would be like the one terrifying thing. That's me. I'm, I'm, I would be too good at writing. So when I write my first book, there's no way I could, uh, I could uh, do it again. You're afraid you'd be a one hit wonder. Yeah, I'd be too good at it. That's my problem. You could possibly be, you could possibly be just too good at it. Oh yeah. That's, that's what I tell myself. I just finished Old Country by Matt Quarry and uh, Harrison Quarry. I didn't ever even hear of this book. I just saw no. it at the bookstore. I said, well, I want to read that. And it's about a seasonal haunting. And it's weird to say that, you know, 
oh, something that's a haunted house story didn't really scare me that much, but I liked it. It's weird to say that. But they get told by their um, neighbors that there's a seasonal haunting and you have to do all these rituals because it happens all the time in the summertime. This different thing will happen. In the wintertime, this thing will happen. Fall, this thing will happen. It's just really, really cool. I just like it. The couple, he doesn't have that idiotic thing where just one person is knows what's going on. Everybody else thinks they're crazy. You know, you got this this relationship with these two people and they're not crazy and they both know what's happening and it's cool to have their back and forth because it makes it funny too. And I'm now I'm just jabbering on and on and on. No. This that is interesting to me. So came out of nowhere. You uh, said seasonal haunting and my brain was like, what? Yeah. And how you said uh it's it's funny to say that a book about a haunted house didn't really scare you. Yeah. But you still but thought like, it was amazing. That's kind of how yeah. I felt about Kill Creek. Yes. I love Kill Creek. That's oh, I loved movie. Kill Creek. That What a great book that was. Yeah. So now think, I'm adding this one to my TBR. Continue. Continue. Damn it. <laughs> well, I'm not, <laughs> I just finished the book of Cold Cases by <gasps> Simone St. James. I, I already this have book. this it's on my list. It's pretty. It's pretty. I love Simone because the supernatural stuff is in the book. It's definitely part of the book. It's a main part of the book, but it's not. How do I put this? It's not in the forefront. Like it's part of the story. It's not the story. It's just added in there to make a thriller a little bit something more than it is. And I just love that about Simone Shane James. I mean, I read Sundown Motel and I loved it. I read Broken Girls, which is actually my favorite of hers. But the book of Cold Cases is right up there, too. I can't really pick out of those three. I love all three of them. I have not read any Simone St. James yet. Uh, but this one, you talked about this one on TikTok. And I just did. the title alone, it was one of those books where just the title alone, I was my brain I love was the like, word oh, book my God. is in the title of a book. I don't know why, <laughs> but I just love that. <laughs> you like Chuck Wendig's The Book of Accidents? Yes. Oh my God, yes. which was Chuck. another amazing book. Another yes, Pennsylvanian who only lives like an hour from me. What a great book that was. Is everybody from where you're from? Nobody's I don't from know. It's I'm starting to feel that way. I'm like, is Pennsylvania truly the hub of horror? Because I'm feeling really, I'm feeling really good, good about this right now. <laughs> James does this little like, um, dual timeline thing which could be really done really terribly which she does it really well it's where she like jumps back and forth across yeah, the like timeline there's a person and yeah like, like in the 1950s that's the main storyline and then 30 <gasps> years later and it just jumps but she does it fantastically oh. i keep waiting on one of them to be terrible and they're not oh now i'm really interested this one is i've got another one this is kind of cheating because I'm not done, but I've, I'm reading. I'm actually in the middle of Clown in the Cornfield too. I love these books. Clown in the Cornfield is so fun. I it's feel just... like such a putz for not having read them yet. And do you want to know something else mm. about Adam Cesare? Cesare. I believe that's how you say. It. Guess, <laughs> guess, guess where he's from. Are you gonna fucking say Pennsylvania? I am. <laughs> Pennsylvania. Wow, that's a, 
Donkey it really Kong is. is actually in Pennsylvania next year. It's in Pittsburgh. Yeah. You have two. So I guess, I guess everybody doesn't have to, to drive that far next year. You'd be surprised how big Pennsylvania is. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty huge. Yeah, it is pretty huge. When you told me how far you were from Pittsburgh, I went, damn. Yeah, four and a half hours. Yeah, shit. That's a I long know. way. Yeah, but I'm I only could... an hour and a half from Philly, so. That's all that matters. That gives you kind of like an idea of where I am. Because one's on one side and one's on the other. So really, it's only like a six-hour <laughs> drive to get across from one side to the other. That's like about as long as it takes me to get to Williamsburg, Virginia, which is another place you need to get your butt to this spring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can meet Mr. Brian Keene in real life. I'll go full circle. Full circle. Him and me at the same time. I might have a heart attack. Oh, Be glad I'm sitting down for that for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I love you so much. Well, I mean, when all else fails, just crack a handicap joke. That's usually how I handle that. I didn't really know. Ah, it was funny. Oh, See, the Zanny's already taking effect. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Chase it with a couple of white claws. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> My I've apologies. got a lot of... There's... My apologies to any listeners who are in recovery. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't do drugs ever. That was a joke. I'm not on anything. I never do that drugs. Was a joke. I don't that drink the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke. Um, you have any I read others? a lot of stuff, but unfortunately, I read all kinds. But unfortunately, I'm the guy who gets rid of books. Like if I don't, if I love them, I I don't get rid of them. Rid of them. If I love them, I let my friends borrow them and say, "Here, you have to read this. You have no." Uh, say so in this matter so they have a lot of my books if books aren't fantastic or like worth staying on the shelf forever i do take them to mckay's which is our big huge warehouse of books which is oh i love that place um and let's get trade credit and do other things but so i don't have a lot of book covers is my my long explanation means i don't have a lot of book covers but i just read near the bone by christina henry Oh, I've heard. I've heard about this one. The the main guy who's there's a, there's a human bad guy in this one too, and he is so horrible, and so evil, and so terrible. I I've never had to take a break from a book because somebody was so despicable, and I had to with this guy. Because like, am I gonna finish this book? So much. I hated him. He's so abusive and so terrible. I put the book down, but I'm glad I picked it back up because it ended up being amazing. I mean, I heard it's good. That's how I felt with the main character, Adam, I believe his name was, in uh, C.V. Hunt's Human Ritual or Ritual Human Sacrifice. Have you read that Mm -hmm. one? No, I have it on the Kindle, but I haven't read it. Oh my God, prepare yourself. Because this is another one where like the main dude in the book, you hate him so much. You just want every bad thing possible to happen because he is just disgusting in every way. So abusive. So abusive. (laughs) That's what makes it hard, right? I just, the whole world went on about Verity. And so I finally listened to that. Oh my god, you have to tell your nurse's station story because it's too good. 
the nurses. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I'm in the nurses station, and my phone disconnects from my little headphones here, and I just the volume. So I go to turn it on, and she goes, "You know, it's the guy she fucks behind your husband's back as loud as it can <laughs> throughout the nurses station." So it was the uh, it was it was these little guys that disconnected. So it was just coming straight from my phone. And I think they made it worse by not saying anything about it because I know they all heard it. <laughs> you just got caught out by your technology. It was like just so you all, all things know I listen to. Dustin reads Dustin listens to smut. Yeah. While yeah. reviewing doctors' all the things orders. I'm there listening to. They're like, oh, okay. So he's listening to smut while I'm sticking my fingers in places in these patients that I <laughs> would rather not mention. Yeah. So Lovely. you weren't like totally into Verity? I thought Verity was great. No, I loved it. I loved it. It was almost I, I, a little too spicy for me. I could have little, done like, without all the spice. Yeah, I could have done without all the spice. Like, I don't hate that. So I don't go out looking for that. I have no Same. that. But yeah, I was real shocked. I'm sitting in a nurse's station sometimes looking around going, oh, God, I'm, can I hear this? Can I hear this right now? This is insulting. Oh, but I no. didn't really like the story. That That's a good, real creepy, real twisty. Like that rock, paper, scissors. I don't know if you ever read that. Uh, Alex Feeney, I think is her name. Extremely twisty. It's I think that's another list. one of horror fans. I love thrillers that I know horror fans will get into. Because, you know, like they, they're not supernatural. Of course, it happened real, but they fit that silence in the lambs kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Did you read Hidden Pictures yet? No, but I have it, and I've. <laughs> I don't normally cheat, but <gasps> I went through and I looked at the pictures because I couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. Maybe I didn't oh, see them. I don't all, blame I you. I don't blame you. They're just the atmosphere. Like I'm the guy. I will put these headphones on. And listen to like thunder and stuff. If I'm rude, I do that a lot. I'm not going to need to with hidden pictures because the the atmosphere is right. It's like right there on the page. I love when people that a lot of people don't illustrate things, which I understand that, but I love when they do. Oh, me too. That's what I'm really loving about the revival of chat books. Like, uh, were you able to get? I know that it came and went so fast because it sold out really, really quick. But I don't know if you were able to get a copy of the obituaries. No, I have not. Uh, but have you read the whole thing? Chat books are great because they are how they come with illustrations. Oh, this is uh, not suitable for work, but. Uh, they come, <laughs> they, come, they come with illustrations in them. That one's a little bit better. But I, I enjoy that like Beauregard and uh, Volpe have been putting illustrations there's a guy in named, their stuff uh, Jeremy for a while. Robinson who, there's a guy named Jeremy Robinson who's got some kaiju books. They're like, I mean, like giant monsters. Oh, yeah, yeah. He draws, his, he draws his kaiju so you can see exactly what he's seen. Well, somebody draws them. I'm not saying I don't know who, but uh, it, it's nice to see exactly what the author trying to tell you. Like you could picture these giant monsters completely in your head. I love that. That's I mean, use your awesome. imagination. Yeah, I love to do that. But when you give me a picture, I love to look up like fan art and stuff, <gasps> books to see what oh! other people have come up with. 
fun. We have a special guest. What? What? Are you, what? What? <laughs> oh my God. Hi, Brian Keen. Hi, I, have- I was oh just in you. I got in a little, a couple minutes earlier. Yeah, that's fine. We were just chattering. We were just chatting away. <laughs> we're already recording in everything. If people could see your face. Oh, I am so sorry. <laughs> My internet, it couldn't handle the excitement. Yeah, it felt the vibe, the energy that just like shot out of us. And my internet was like, no, I can't. I can't. Speedboat Complete disruption. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Mr. Brian Keen. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, so we're going to be honest. Dustin and I are just a tad bit starstruck right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You are considered one of the OGs of modern horror fiction. I mean, that's uh, what they say, but you know. Yeah, I've heard rumors, <laughs> little rumblings, and you may or may not have been hugely influential as far as your impact on the I evolution mean, of indie horror bit. as it is yeah, now. I mean, I mean, look, logically and factually, was I sure? But I don't go around, you know, carrying that. Like, can I curse on your show? fuck yes okay i don't go around carrying that like a fucking billboard behind me because you know (laughs) the moment you do that you're a (laughs) douchebag so you know i i uh i always i always say it like this i have been a fan of horror since i was about eight years old um and now i'm lucky enough to give back to a genre that has given me a lot of enjoyment over the years and if tomorrow they come to me and they say you know you're canceled and we're taking back all your awards and taking your stuff out of print. That's okay. I'll still be a fan of the genre. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to, to have contributed something that, that so many people I look up to have contributed to, you know? Well, we would like to say congratulations on the amazing career and our deepest sympathies for making the poor decision to come on this show today. <laughs> 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 I don't know if you've had a chance to uh, <laughs> to listen to mom, but we we like to keep it light and lively, and we like to be uh, funny as hell. But... I do. That's you know that's the great thing about not doing any podcasts anymore. Now I have time to listen to other people's podcasts. So... Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. So if you've listened to us, you know our vibe. Yeah, there's there's a there's a, a bunch that I listen to and and yeah, if if you remember, I said, hey, if you ever want me on, let me know, and that's, that's because I, I dig what you're doing, I dig the vibe, you know, I, I dig just very laid back and. But I do have some heavy questions. She's gonna questions. die of a heart attack. I might die of a do heart what? attack. Mm. All right, well, let's not do that. I am 42 and pregnant. I can only handle so much right now. I'm I'm pushing my limits here. Well, I'm going to go. What we're going to do is Dustin and I are going to go back and forth 
um, and hit you with some questions. Then we'll take a brief little break. And then we're going to hit you with the rapid fire four, which is basically four questions of absolute ridiculosity. All right. And one of my favorite parts. But first, put your rain slicker on because I'm about to vomit a whole lot of words on you as far as the setup for this part of the discussion goes. Okay. So. (laughs) (laughs) So you set almost all of your stories within the same literary universe. We call it we, Dustin and I, we refer to it as the Keeniverse. And I know that both you and myself are Pennsylvania natives. Just realizing like two days ago that we actually are only like less than 40 minutes apart. I'm going to leave you like muffin, muffin boxes and just drop off as gifts. Like on the other side of the Wrightsville bridge. They'll just say like four kittens. (laughs) Yeah, all the kittens. I told her where you were from. I was looking online and she said, wait, what did you say? (laughs) Yeah, I was was born in North Carolina and uh, I spent my first five years in West Virginia. And then we moved up here to Pennsylvania. I I split my time now between Pennsylvania and West Virginia. So I think that is so cool. So I grew up, I don't know if you know about Schmokin, Schmokin, Pennsylvania is oh, yeah. where I was born. It's basically like the coal capital of Pennsylvania. Oh. And then my parents moved to Franklin County. So we were in Chambersburg, Gettysburg right. um, from 87 forward. And I know you having lived in West Virginia, as well as all of the time you've spent here in South Central Pennsylvania, Dustin's a Tennessee boy. So a common thread that all three of us have here is the Appalachians. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And like when I was growing up down on my side of the zone, you and I live in, we had like stories about like the white lady of Palm Bank, the haunted CCC camp in Caledonia where all the kids died, a haunted witch grave out by Letterkenny. You guys up in your area, you guys had the whole freaking seven gates of hell, which people still yep. talk about. And you had the very real Hex House murder of Nelson yep. Raymire in 1928 that fueled all of that legend. So I can't help but kind of want to lean into, you know, a little bit of a discussion about picking your brain about how the oral storytelling traditions of the Appalachians like particularly Pennsylvania legend and lore might have impacted your use of this state as a primary setting for your books. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the Nelson Raymire murder, Hex Hollow. That, I mean, it's a very loose adaptation, but my novel Dark Hollow is is basically a modern day version of that. Um, you know, I, I, I was a teenager in the, the early 80s and, you know, uh, it was the era of Quiet Riot and Motley Crue and Prince. And, you know, on a Friday or a Saturday night, you took your date to Ray Myers Hollow. You know, that that was where you went to go to go parking. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up steeped in those legends. I know those woods very well. I have I have seen weird shit in those woods. Um, but, you know, the, the tradition it goes way further back than that you know my my great grandmother um she i i always compare her to mother abigail from stephen king's the stand she was a, oh. a christian woman 
but she, she was the type of Christian that you don't encounter much these days. She was non-judgmental. She loved everybody regardless of what they believed, who they loved, you know, and uh, I, I adored her. And, and she lived in this, this little three-room house in this hollow in West Virginia, you know, and, and she, was, she was old enough to remember the old West, you know, but her best stories were, you know, the ghosts and monster stories that she would tell. Um, and she was always good enough to let me know when it was just a legend, when it was just a myth, and when it was something that she'd actually seen or experienced. Um, so, you know, I was steeped in this stuff at an early age. And yeah, like, like Dark Hollow, uh, my novella Scratch, it's kind of based on a the, the cryptid Raystown Ray, the, the giant snake, which supposedly lives yes! in Raystown. Raystown Lake. <laughs> yep. You know, so yeah, I, I borrow, you know, I, I always, obviously, like everybody in our generation, you didn't become a horror writer without in some way being influenced by Stephen King. Um, I was influenced by a lot of people, but obviously Steve was, I mean, he's been very gracious to me over the years, but, you know, one thing I always noticed as a as a teenager reading his books, not only were you invested in the characters, but you were invested in the location. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Castle Rock itself became a character with as much agency as any other character. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to do that and I wanted a, a good geographic sense of where I was writing about. And I, I looked out the window and said, well, why not write about Central PA and the Appalachians, you know? There's such, uh, one of the things I love about <clears throat> the Appalachian storytelling tradition is there's such a darkness to it. At its core, there is darkness, there is horror. And Dustin and I were talking earlier and I was kind of blowing his mind because he kept pulling books out. And I was like, that person's from Pennsylvania. <laughs> that person is from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Brian Keene's from Pennsylvania. Wes Southern is from Pennsylvania. Adam Chesare is from Pennsylvania. Chuck Wendig's from Pennsylvania. Candace Nola, she's from Pennsylvania. Lucy Leitner, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Like, <laughs> and, and it, it goes it goes back even beyond that. It goes back generations, back to weird tales. There there were like six or seven weird tales writers that were in almost every other issue, all not only from Pennsylvania but from Central Pennsylvania. You know, Skip and Spectre, when they were doing uh, their splatterpunk novels back in the, the late 80s, early 90s, they were doing it in York, PA. Um, you know, I, I remember my senior year in high school, I had this really terrible novel. It was a, it was a complete ripoff of Kings of the Mist. But I thought, if I can get it into the hands of Skip and Spectre, they'll help me get it published and I'll be a millionaire. So they ah. used to play this, this club in downtown York. And I wasn't old enough to get in. You know, you got to be 21 in Pennsylvania. I would stand outside with the manuscript, hoping to meet Skip Inspector. And years later, I'm telling Skip about this. And he snaps his fingers. He says, you are the little kid with the mullet. And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was the mullet child. Yeah, Chet Williamson, one of my my favorite writers of that era he he lives in you know in, in Lancaster County there's a, there's so many of us around here does he it's live amazing. in Lancaster County mm -hmm. lord almighty Tim Truman to move. of course you know yeah, he, he's in Lancaster 
Gus mm-hmm. is down in Tennessee. He's missing all the fun. Steven, yeah, Steven Kazaniewski is up here too, right? Well, we don't claim Kazaniewski, but yeah, he lives here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and RJ Benetti is relocating himself from DC to Pennsylvania. There you go. Very soon. So I I said to Tessa, I was like, is this is this the hub? of horror the hub of independent horror because i'm starting to think it might be and you know i really do wonder if there is an element of just the the historical nature of storytelling within this appalachian region of pennsylvania we are just so deeply steeped in that and even to this day you know i have a copy of the constant friend on my shelves like powwow magic is still a thing these stories still continue i i was hearing these stories in the 90s you're nodding your head because you had heard them too like And my kids are learning them. My kids already have heard, well, if we drive down in York, we might be able to walk through the seven gates of hell. And they're like 10 and 18. <laughs> so it just continues and continues and continues. I think it's amazing. And it's very unique, this ridge. It is. This part of the country and the just the, the horror that comes out of it. Dustin! <laughs> I had a question for you, Brian, if you don't care. I guess that's why we're here. Um, <laughs> question about the publishing, the cover art, the reprintings and everything. I would see, when I read Earthworm Gods, which I love, and The Ghoul, which I love, there are these specific versions that'll say the preferred of the author with the different cover art. I, I just feel like, do you feel freer now than you did before? I don't want to give you a, you know, put a bad taste in anybody's mouth. But um, I, are you there? I'm losing. I'm here. He may be frozen. Let's give it a moment. See if we can get him back. I bet if I go to the bathroom, he'll come back. Yeah, go pee real quick. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Boom. Boom. He'll come right back. As soon as I get up to go to the bathroom, I bet he comes back. And, and it happened. Did it? <laughs> All right. Where were we? Did you get to go to the bathroom? You guys guys go ahead and talk and I'll do that. Dustin, ask you a question. All right. You go to the bathroom. I'll take this kid. Flat out said, if I go to the bathroom, he'll show back up. She moved. And there you were. All right. I had a question for you, sir. I got an answer Um, for you, sir. (laughs) Question about the publishing, the cover art and things like that. Um, I see where it says the preferred version of the author or uh, the cover art has changed to a more um, extreme horror, which I absolutely love. I feel like, do you feel freer as an author to do what you want or you've always, have you always felt that way? Dustin, I apologize. I, you're cutting in and out. I think it's the connection on my end. Okay. Hang on one second here. All right. Yeah. I'm boosted as strong as it'll go. I caught, I caught the last part of the question. Can you just repeat the whole question for me? I was just kind of curious. When I was looking up your books, it would say this is the preferred version from the author. You've got this uh, really great kind of extreme horror uh, cover art with a lot of things in the newer. I was just wondering if you feel freer as an author to do things that you want to do or have you always felt that way? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
when I was starting out, let's take The Rising, for example. That was my first published novel, published back in 2003. Um, I had no say over the covers. Um, and I had no say over the, the novel itself. They cut approximately 30,000 words Whoa. from the manuscript. And, and that's, a, that's a big chunk of story. That's a chunk. Um, you know, and it bummed me out that people would never be able to read that. Well, one great thing that comes with success, uh, particularly in my case, because I've always kept one foot in the mainstream and one foot in the indie, yep. um, you reach a point where you are free to do shit like that. Uh, so, you know, when we reprinted The Rising, I was like, wait, I want to put those 30,000 words nobody's ever seen back into the book. So, boom, author's preferred edition. Uh, same with Terminal, which I, I just released at the start of this year. Um, that came out in 2005. And Random House, I mean, they had legitimate reasons. They, they wanted to be able to sell the book in Walmart. And Walmart has certain restrictions. Be you a, a recording artist, an author, you have to play by Walmart's rules. Huh. Um, so, you know, they, they made editorial changes to Terminal uh, that I did not agree with. But I went ahead and made them because, you know, it was that or the book doesn't go on sale. Um, it, in this case, it was, it was changes that completely alters the ending of the book and the oh, meaning well. of the book. So, what? you know, when I, when I got the rights back, I was like, oh, now I can release the version I always wanted people to read. So, yeah, it's, it's very freeing at this stage to be able to do stuff like that. Now, well, I need to go back and get that terminal because yep. I didn't know that it changed everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you read the original novel? Yes. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. The, <laughs> the kid who can heal people, mm -hmm. it turns out he's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. Yeah, completely changes <laughs> everything. Walmart, that Walmart, Walmart was like, that. you can't talk about Jesus like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is wild i get frozen but, pictures yeah. of mary and like she's frozen um, yeah just laughing maniacally <laughs> that is pretty on brand for me do you do you feel like the larger publishing houses at this point are more flexible when it comes to content, that they're more willing to put certain things out there simply because of the popularity and the evolution that horror has gone through? Or do you feel like um, we're still dealing with some heavy censorship? No. I don't, I wouldn't call it censorship. Um, I think bookstores these days retailers including walmart are a lot more willing to sell things that they might not have sold a decade or 20 years ago yeah um so i wouldn't call it censorship but i i do think uh pub big publishing are a little too beholden to market research and their marketing departments hey this book about killer clowns sold really well so we need 25 more books about killer clowns um yes. you know this this book that has this bland generic cover you don't know if it's a coming of age romance or a horror novel sold really well so 
all of our novels, regardless of, of theme or plot or genre, have to have that cover for the rest of the year. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of that. Um, and I, I think they're also, I don't want to say beholden to, but, uh, and none of them would ever admit this in an interview, but I know a lot of publishers, a lot of editors, and I'm talking mainstream ones, who will get a novel get a manuscript in and they really love it, but then they have to second guess, you know, how will the public receive this? Um, so there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of thinking about that before the, the book is even accepted, uh, more so than it, there used to be. Unfortunate. I mean, I, I get it. That's just, that's the time we live in. Um, but it's unfortunate. Um, you know, in other ways, it's it's a great time to be a horror author. Horror, mainstream horror is very popular again. Um, we're seeing more diversity and inclusiveness than we've ever seen. I mean, anybody mm -hmm. that's followed my career, you know, I've been fighting for that for 25 fucking years. Um, and it's nice to kind of be able to sit back and say, wow, shit has legitimately changed. You know, is it perfect yet? No but it's way better than it was 25 years ago. So, yes. you know, it, it's, it's a great time to be doing this, but also the competition is stiffer than ever. Oh um, yeah. Oh which is, yeah. Which is why I think the, the indie market plays a more vital role now than it ever has. And you know, it's interesting to me because we, I actually just had to broach this topic with Chandler Morrison, who we talked with last weekend with his newest book thigh gap which deals with eating disorders and when i had spoken to him all the way back in march he was like i don't even know if anybody's gonna pick this up if they're gonna put it out or if i'm gonna have to self-publish because they just don't want to be responsible for putting that content out there so while mainstream horror is more popular than ever especially with the female audience we are really the drivers of horror here um cancel culture is at its peak so you're dealing with a situation where people have a tend to be a tendency to be very vulnerable to certain things and yet that desire for things that will horrify them is at like critical mass right now and it's such a paradox to me and it really brings home the fact the fact that horror is entirely subjective and what some people can tolerate other people are like i am offended and how indie horror you have that freedom to be like you know what fuck it i'm gonna put it out there i'm gonna self-publish this and what happens happens well it's it's so true you take you know, we mentioned The Rising earlier. You go back to The Rising. I firmly believe if, okay, The Rising published in 2003, since then, half a million copies in print, counting foreign editions and all the paperback runs. It's half a million copies printed. Did I see, did I get paid for half a million copies? Hell no. <laughs> but they're out there. Um, but, you know, my point is, I say that to say it's a popular book, but if I were Chandler's age or one of these other young guys like, like Wes Southerd or Carver Pike, or, yeah. you know, if I tried to sell The Rising now, I don't think I could ever sell it mainstream. It would be relegated to the indies. And at the time, I sold it to Leisure Books, who were, you know, the, the cream of the crop for horror, mainstream horror fiction at the time. 
Now that's um, fascinating. You know, so yeah, a lot has changed. But you know, you brought up Chandler. What's that? That's fascinating to me. Yeah. It's it almost well, turns the whole concept on its head that, you know, a decade ago, you would have been capable of selling that book to a mainstream publisher who now at this point in time would look at it and be like, we don't want to carry the liability of putting this content out there. And yet the desire for that content among the audience is higher than ever. And now they're starting to back down and be worried about what people will think. Well, and it's not just that though. Um, in my case, you know, I'm a veteran author. I've been doing this 25 years. So you're a mainstream publisher, okay? And you have two choices. You can publish, let me think of a friend to use. An ex- I'm going to use my friend V. Castro as an example. Oh, yeah. If folks haven't read her, they should. Oh, yeah. She's okay. Oh, yeah. So, Queen of tea. Yeah. So I'm an editor. I've got V's first novel in front of me. V is an unknown quantity at this point you know very first novel we don't know how it will sell we don't know what her fan base is going to be like or we can get brian Keane, who's got a 25-year track record but he's going to ask us for a lot of money if i'm a mainstream publisher and i'm trying to cut costs where i can i'm gonna i'm gonna sign b and i know that as an author so i'm i'm okay with that i get it it's business um but where it's unfair is is like we said in in this this guessing of the content and how the public will receive it. Chandler, he's one of my favorite young authors. Um, I think, and I, I'm friends with a lot of these young authors, but I legitimately think Chandler's something special. That kid has talent in spades, and if it was 25 years ago he would have been getting published alongside Brett Easton Ellis and Chuck Palahniuk, you know, and somebody like Carver Pike or Daniel Volpe, if it was 25 years ago, they'd be getting published at Leisure Books alongside myself and Richard Lehman and Jack Ketchum and Rapture. Yeah, yeah. But it's not 25 years ago. And those kind of outlets have dried up in mainstream fiction, you know? boggles my mind but you know thank god for the indie horror community the work that you and ed lee and wrath did to build up this community where people have the freedom and the support to self-publish to publish on an independent level and still get their names out there you were the ones who drove this whole movement so <laughs> honestly if it wasn't for that community i mean i wouldn't have, i wouldn't know any of those authors you guys have just mentioned i mean i'd, I'd I like i'd like to sit here and say it was it was altruistic uh <laughs> but it wasn't entirely um, well sure you had to do for you well you know it was the it was the <laughs> The financial recession of, of, you know, 2009 through 2012. Oh, and, yeah. you know, Brian Smith, JF Gonzalez, Mary San Giovanni, Rath, Ed Lee, myself, we kicked over basically the entire fucking mainstream house of cards. We were, we were getting shafted. Leisure Books wasn't paying us. Uh, they were going to, they were going to try to sell our rights out from under us just to stay afloat. And, Oh, my. 
fighting. Remember, you know, my days where I was on CNN and MSNBC and Fox, all three, I, I didn't care about their political slant. I just wanted to get our message out there that, hey, right. we're getting fucked over. Um, you know, ultimately we won, but we, we crashed the entire system behind us on the way out. Good for you. And, and it's like, all right, well, while they're rebuilding, what are, what are we going to do? Well, I guess we're going to have to start doing it ourselves. And <laughs> and it was great because you it legitimate it it coincided with Amazon launching KDP and it, it sort of legitimized self-publishing to where it it didn't have the stigma it once had. And it also allowed a lot of indie publishers look at, you know, Clash Books or Deadite Press or Racerhead. It allowed them to compete on the same level as some of these these mainstream mass market houses. Um, so it, it was really, it was a, it was a moment in time I don't think it ever be repeated. I always thought it would make a great movie. Um, in fact, I was approached by a, a film crew about actually turning it into a, like a, a Hunter S. Thompson Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas TV style series. Uh, oh. It never, it never got anywhere. I, I read a couple scripts and their versions of, of me and Jesus Gonzalez and Brian Smith were pretty funny and pretty spot on actually, but it, it never went anywhere because the truth is 10 people would have watched that show. <laughs> but, but nowadays, that but nowadays you could totally, thing. that sounds amazing. Now, as soon as you started talking about that, I was thinking about like it's all those shows about Bill Gates and stuff where they're building shit in the garage. You know, I mean, yes. I'd, I'd rather they do that after I'm dead. Um, <laughs> I mean, for real. For real. You know, I, I, I always, I'll tell you a story about why I feel that way. Have you either of you read Ghoul? Oh, yeah. yes, I love that. All right. That's my favorite. Confession. I was that main character, Timmy Graco. That was 100% me. And 90% of that fucking novel happened. We just, we didn't have a ghoul living in the cemetery. <laughs> but uh, so they, they make, they turn it into a movie and I'm on the set and Nolan Gould from, from uh, Modern Family, he's, he's playing Timmy in the movie. And I spend two weeks with him on the set. And, you know, he gets into character and it's like hanging out with a younger version of myself. It was like I went back in time, you know, to the point where they they built our old clubhouse on the soundstage. And I, I had to take pictures and send it to my buddies. And they're like, where the fuck are you? That looks like our old clubhouse. And I'm like, it is our old clubhouse. <laughs> wow. the soundstage. But sitting down and watching that movie and watching this fictionalized version of myself was the weirdest most uncomfortable oh. thing i think <laughs> i've ever right. felt in my life so yeah they if they want if they want to do movies about you know the leisure books work just wait till i'm dead at this point <laughs> <laughs> if anybody ever asks us for our opinion we'll be like no just let the man die first yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> let him have some peace and then you can do what you <laughs> I have okay, so I have some things here. Okay. These are a few of my favorites. <laughs> I actually have a picture I'll have to send you of my my six-year-old son picked this one up and was reading it. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I know. I'll have to send you the picture because my face is like horrified. But so you have written almost 50 or more books now, right? Over 50. Over 50. Yes. Yeah. Blood on the page. 
okay, so I'm not a tabber or a note taker, but I have post-its in this book. I see that. And I know that you have already previously identified I Sing a New Psalm as a fan favorite, especially right. when you do live readings of this. But I was raised by an Episcopal priest and a Catholic school teacher who very much like your grandmother were very and still are very progressive, non-judgmental, just be a good human, live your live your best life, be the best person you can be. Right. That kind of so I have never once, you know, even worried about indulging myself in this genre that I love so much because they're just like, you do you kid, that's awesome. My dad took us to see the cell in, in the theater. But <laughs> um this story and the fact that it's written in the format of like biblical psalm. As soon as I opened this book and I flipped to this page, like my brain was on fire. And this story is only six pages long. But it attacks horror on so many levels. So many levels. It, it, the, the Grief, I think, is one of those emotional experiences we have that is one of the few emotions that actually causes us visceral, physical pain. Oh, yeah. And when you process grief through horror, I think it's an underested, it's an underested element to therapeutic processing using horror to process grief and loss. And then just the whole idea that within these six pages, you go through this journey with this person that you can relate to so deeply, the, you know, searching for joy, finding joy, and then having that joy ripped away from you, that feeling of fruitless searching for something that you can put faith in, feeling like you found the right place to put your faith, and then feeling as if the thing you put your faith in ripped everything that you love away from you, took that joy from you, and then the anger and the resentment and the maladaptive misplaced projection of that anger on others. And I'm a, I've been a psych nurse for 15 years. So <laughs> this six pages between the theological allegory and just the mental health psychological journey rocked my world. Now, this is not the only uh, story in this collection with religious elements. Um, I really, really love the resurrection and the life where you put Ob inside of Lazarus because yep. Lazarus was one of the stories my sister and I were most fascinated with growing up. And as soon as I read that one, I was like, I got to send her this book. She's going <laughs> to freaking love it. Tell me, can you tell me more about your use of religion and horror and what inspires you to take horror into that zone? Because really, when I think of like the first horror books that I ever read, I always put the Bible in my list. Because yeah. Really um, I mean, you know, like I said, my great grandma, uh, you know, she was she was old school, but she was super progressive. My grandparents were Southern Baptist. My parents were Methodist. At one point, believe it or not, I was the president of the church youth group. <gasps> Me too. You know, my, <laughs> my first kiss took place at a church function. 
I lost my virginity at a church function. Oh, wow. Ryan Keene. I did. I, you know, the, the, the best friends I ever had growing up, I, I all made not through school, but through church. Yes. Um, you know, so I'd be lying through my teeth if, if I said that the church wasn't a big part of who I am today. However, um, as I, as I grew into an adult, particularly around the period, those two stories and my novella take the long way home were written. Um, I had begun to, I was already past the serious doubt stage. I was to the stage where, okay, well, you know, I'm an agnostic. I don't think Christianity's got it right. I don't think Islam's got it right. I don't think Judaism or Buddhism. There's something more to this metaphysical universe, but it's stupid for mankind to say, I know the way. Um, and exactly. you know, yeah. and I, I've actually written a whole book about that. Now the triangle belief kind of charts that journey for me. Um, Dang it, why do I got to keep adding things to my TV? <laughs> it's, it's a quick one though. You can read it in a day, but it, it's sort of my, my philosophy on life, the universe and everything. Um, but I don't know, like I won't, I will never denigrate somebody for their religion. Their religion is their religion. Even Scientology. Okay. I mean, Scientology is a lot of horseshit and it does some toxic stuff, but so does every other religion. So I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and make fun of Scientologists over everyone else. But, uh, you know, I, I personally, I don't, I don't believe any of us know. I, I do think consciousness exists after death. I've been handed proof of that by not one, but two of my best friends who I've lost in the last few years. Um, you know, so I, I, I know that consciousness lives on after this, but I, I don't think it's a, a dude with a beard sitting on a cloud. And I, I don't think it's 50 virgins. And I, I don't think uh, it's, you come back as a cow or, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think we're meant to know or understand, you know. Did you get any pushback at all for the representation of Obs as a almost deific figure that goes into this biblical uh character of Lazarus I'm just, because I from my perspective you know the bible is what we were given but we know that that's not originally what was put on papyrus what we got I, was a version <laughs> that was specifically designed to spread a certain message right and so it very well could have been some kind of zombie deity. <laughs> I, I didn't. Um, you know, I probably should have gotten pushback, but I didn't. I, I think by that point, I had, what, six or seven novels. I think anybody who would have been offended by that, at that point, they knew well enough to stay away from anything I wrote. So they probably never I read I don't it. read him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I will sing a new psalm. I think when did you write that? When did you when did you write it that? It all blurs together. Uh that was probably <laughs> around 2006, 2007 maybe. It is yeah. even I feel that it is even more relevant today now considering the uh increase in the certain type of violence that is alluded to in that six pages. Oh, yeah. And I think that 
is just a brilliant example of how you can put something down on paper and then 15 years later, 16 years later, it has even more meaning that it's almost prophetic in a way, which really adds to the biblical format of it as well. So Shazam, I freaking love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dustin. Go ahead, ask the man a question because I can just keep. To, I had to really like try. You to can rap poetic about this stuff. I could listen to both y'all talk forever. I was like, I have so many things I need to talk to Brian Keen about, and I, we only have so much time. Dustin, <laughs> <laughs> do it, Dustin. <laughs> Brian, you've kind of answered this one for me, but a, a question about where the darker storytelling comes from because I, I feel like, and it feels very real. When you're good guys, even if you're good guys win, they're scarred for life. It's got this when the good guys win, even then they don't. I didn't realize the goal was like 90% of your life, so that makes a lot of sense. Did you actually have that? Um, you said you actually had that playhouse, was it in a graveyard? Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew up next to a cemetery in Pennsylvania, and uh, you know, we spent a whole summer building that clubhouse um you know by ourselves and, it, and it's exactly like it was described in the book and how it looks in the movie that's amazing yeah. you're um with these stories you're like i said your darker your darker tone where do you think that comes from i mean like to does it feel more realistic to you to put people through all that trauma I, mean, <laughs> I you know my my loving partner, author Mary San Giovanni, calls me a hopeful nihilist. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, she's right. Um, you know, she's absolutely right. Uh, some of it, some of it is is personal thoughts and personal feelings and personal experiences. Um, novels like Dark Hollow and Ghoul, and uh, the writer character in the complex. There's a lot more truth to those than I will ever let the public know. Um, but some of it, like Dead Sea or the ending to City of the Dead, it's just, I'm a people watcher. I love studying people. And it's, it's just, it's how would humanity realistically react to what, to what I'm throwing at them here? Um, and that's, that's, unfortunately how we would react i I think we saw it during the pandemic in every zombie movie and every zombie novel the thing that every one of us got wrong was that 50 percent of humanity would say oh they're not real i'll prove it to you i'm gonna go get bitten by one yep um you know uh you know i i yeah a lot of my endings are downers um some of them are i think castaways has a a happy ending (laughs) he's like i got this one book (laughs) you know i just uh i always look at it this way horror people who read horror want or craving the experience of of feeling unsettled or uncomfortable or hopefully scared okay the only way you can make a reader feel that is if they are invested in your character. They don't have to like the character, but they have to be invested in them. So you, yeah. you have to put something in that character that's real, something that everyone, regardless of their background, can identify with. Um, and because it's hard, I think people get attached to my characters because 
they're identifying with them and, and then it's hard and oh well you remember now you're here to make, be made uncomfortable and scared boom here's the update how dare you how dare you not give me a happy ending and a i think that's why i liked ghoul so much is because the especially towards the end everything felt so real um and like earthworm gods i I just picked it up and started reading i had no idea i was gonna be like an 80 year old man so that was such a wonderful and cool aspect to get because you don't really get that when you read a book very much it's this elderly person telling what they would really go through during something like this well and that's i think that's a a generational thing when i grew up reading horror it was nine times out of ten it was set in a small town and you know uh, this white Anglo-Saxon Protestant protagonist, and he's usually a guy, and you know, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But I had read 500 of those novels, oh, yeah. I, you know, and as I said, I was a fan. I knew horror was more than that. So did everybody else that was starting at that time. Brian Smith, Champ Gonzalez, Rath yeah. Jones White, uh, Sephora Geron, Mary, you know. So it was like y- you you really saw generation generationally that's i'm not tooting my horn but that's when you started to see different kind of characters you know as you said the the elderly protagonists of the conqueror worms um or you know the protagonist of dead sea i i remember when dead sea came out the press made a big deal out of you know i had made the main character uh, a person of color and gay you know like oh why would you do that well i don't know because uh people from those groups enjoy my books and I, i'd like them to have a book with a character they dig you know yeah these days exactly. it'd probably be a very different reaction if i did that which is you know i get it society is still growing and changing and going through all these pains and we're discovering things together but um I, that's why i like about where horror is right now is we're getting all these different authentic viewpoints i I really wish Jesus Gonzalez had been alive to see all this. You know, he, uh, oh, yeah. for years, he was the the one Hispanic horror writer, you know, and it was such a big fucking deal when, when him and Rath James White did their first novel together because it was, it was genuinely the first time two people of color had ever collaborated on novel-length fiction in this genre. So wild. But I, I wish he, what he wanted he was a pulp writer like me, and he was an he was an extreme horror writer like me. But what he wanted was academia to say, "Hey, what you did mattered," and you see it now. You you see universities teaching and stuff, and you see uh, these young authors like Gabino Iglesias and Cynthia uh-huh. and V. Castro, you know, singing his praises. Uh, you know, Gabino has a great thing. He's like, when he was a young man, he'd go in the bookstore and yeah, Brian Keene and yeah, Jack Ketchum, but J.F. Gonzalez, that was his guy, you know? It was right there on the cover. And, and I, I wish Jesus had been alive to see that because I think he would have dug it. Oh, God, yeah. I, I You know, I, it's just... <laughs> I find I'm a Splatterpunk fan. I love splatterpunk. I love all of the the ridiculousness of it that leads to the horrific nature of the storytelling. But at the same time, and I've said this before, there's such a level of surrealism and absurdity to it that your brain immediately clicks in is like, 
this is not real. <laughs> this is not real. This would not happen to this extent. It's the books like John Athens, the groomer, or books like Ghoul, where it feels real. This is real life. These are things that actually happen. Cynthia Paleo's into the woods and all the way through her poetry collection just mm. tore me apart. That's probably why I love I sing a new song so much. Like that is one man's real experience with the struggle between grief and faith and betrayal. Yeah. That's horror. That is what horror is all about on that deeply emotional level. That's what scares me. You can cut up bodies all day long and I'll be like, ha ha. But you hit me with the real stuff. You hit me in the gut. And I'm like, mush. Yeah. So I think that's when you when you make it more applicable to real life, it has a much bigger impact. And that requires, you know, the inclusion of people who are parts of our real lives. Well, and, you know, you brought you brought up an interesting example there. You know, because what we're starting to see, there used to always be a very clear dividing line between splatterpunk and extreme horror. And what we're seeing now with this this new generation of writers coming up, the lines are blurred. Um, and a great example is Groomer by John Athan. Um, now, I, I like his stuff. I genuinely like his stuff. I like everything of his that I've read. I won't read Groomer for the same reason I've never watched a Serbian film. I know what my triggers are. I don't. Yes. Know. Sorry. Yeah. And, yes. and, and John, if you're listening, that's a compliment to you. Um, but what I love, what I, he's a great example. He's writing extreme horror, but he's writing it with a splatterpunk sensibility. Um, you know, yeah, it's shocking and it's vile, but it's about something more, you know, there, there's a, a definite social commentary there. And, you know, what a, what a great time to be a reader of this stuff. Yes. Oh my Actually, God. Extreme horror is really introduced to me this whole new thing because when you put that splatter punk way into it, when you put that story into it where it's about something else, you can throw anything else at me and I will just eat it up. Love it yeah. because there's something underneath. 100%. So you don't just write books. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I think. Uh, both Dustin and I are very, very curious. We're like mega Doctor Who fanatics. Yeah. And we know you've contributed to the who universe. I have. Can you tell us about that? Because <laughs> we are basically just giant children and we want to know all about that time you met Doctor Who. I have one Doctor Who story. <laughs> it's in this book right here. Um, Wait, wait, yeah. which doctor is that? Which doctor is that? Destination Prague. Oh! And that's the they, eighth doctor. Well, I, I chose uh, doctor number four, Tom Baker. It's the eighth <gasps> doctor on the cover. But uh, they, they said. Uh, oh, you got to choose. Yeah. And oh! I, I, I said, I, I want to use uh, I want to use Leela, K9 and the fourth doctor. And I said it in this version of Prague. It was basically Planet of the Apes, except it was dogs. And the doctor and Leela spend the entire story in captivity. The story is basically canine trying to save their ass and lead this revolution. <laughs> uh, you know, doctor Who fans dug it. I dug it. BBC 
I don't know if they dug it or not. They never asked <laughs> for another one, so I, I, they must not have dug it. Um, what year was that? That was, like I said, they all blend together after a while. Let me look here. That was 2007. 2007. So was that right before the reboot? I think it was right around the reboot. Like the Christopher Eccleston yeah. season? It was either him or the first season with Tenet. I think it was right around there. Oh, my God. It's from my left page. You've written for all kinds of franchises. Oh, yeah. Thor, uh, Doom Patrol. Well, I, I do a lot of stuff for Marvel and DC. Well, I used to. I I don't know that I would ever write for either one of them again um, because the entire corporate culture has changed at both wow. since they've been bought out. Marvel um, You know, I, I, I enjoyed writing for Marvel. I do not think I would enjoy writing for Disney. I loved writing for DC Comics. I don't think I would uh much enjoy writing for warner brothers um but yeah thor doom patrol harley quinn oh my god harley batman superman uh aliens um phantasm evil dead i need your superman titles that's why my son is named clark <laughs> There's a couple of them. If you if you go to my website and click comics, they're all they're all there. You can get links. Oh, to I gotta get them for my husband. Yeah. Have you you haven't done any Godzilla yet? No. Um. Actually, here's something I have never talked about in an interview. Ooh. Um. The very first story that I ever actually sold for publication, I think I got paid like a penny a word, and supposed to get a copy of the magazine. It was a it was a Godzilla story that <gasps> I sold to G Fan. You guys remember G Fan magazine? I have That's a G Fan. We have a G Fan poster down oh, in my okay. husband's this, massive Godzilla collection. This was <laughs> way back in the day when they were they were first starting out. Um, I sold a story to G Fan. It was supposed to be accepted, and for whatever or it was accepted, it was supposed to be published. For whatever reason, it never got published. Um, and years later, I'm like, I wonder whatever happened to that that Godzilla story. I should pull that off out and file the serial numbers off, make it a different monster. And, and it's one of the few things I've ever written that I don't have a copy of. Damn it. You know, that makes me sad. I would read that. And then my husband would read it. And then my kids would read it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Whiston would read There's so many of us who are Godzilla. Like the heads. ending of a lot oh of your stories God. that just ripped my heart out. Yeah, I I did get to do basically my version of uh, Hedorah, the smog monster. <gasps> Ooh, it's a uh, it's a short story that appears in uh, my collection stories for the next pandemic. And it's also up on my patron and I'll probably put it in my next mainstream short story collection, too. But uh, it's called Out Past the Boardwalk Where the Water Meets the Sky, which is, of course, a homage to Joe R. Lansdale's great short story titles. But Basically, it's this guy, he has Alzheimer's and he doesn't want to tell his family. And he's decided that he's going to walk into the ocean and drown himself so his family doesn't have to suffer through this with him. Oh, my God. And as he's walking out there, everybody comes running out of the ocean and there's this giant monster on the horizon. And he doesn't know if it really exists or if this is the Alzheimer's setting in. So he he swims out to meet (laughs) him. Hello, 
giant kaiju monster. I am so and so. Are you a delusion? <laughs> am I having a, a visual hallucination? Because if I am, this is righteous. <laughs> oh my god, I need to read this. Oh, yeah. it's amazing. Actually, and I just remember it's in uh it's in the new collection Mary and I put out, Things Left Behind. It's in that as well. So yeah, it's oh, out there. Yes. I have that in my list of, of needed books. I am uh I am too poor for this. That is my problem. <laughs> it's my, my problem passion. too. I don't make enough money for this passion. <laughs> now, this story kind of oh, there's Clark. Hi, um, Clark. Oh, that's Brian Keen. That's Brian. Clark's right. not there. <laughs> there's no Clark. Louis <laughs> hiding. Brian Keen. You'll have to come to Land of Little Horses with okay. us sometime right. with me and Clark. <laughs> <laughs> so a fellow, Dustin, I hope you don't mind if I jump in with another question here. So back when mm -hmm. I did an externship at Waynesboro Hospital, I worked with an amazing nurse named Doug Fisher. And 15 years later, find out that Mr. Doug Fisher, now that we work at completely separate facilities, is a huge Brian Keene fanboy okay. so i went straight to him and i was like doug you're not gonna believe what i have the opportunity to do i'm gonna get to talk with brian keen and he was like shut up i was like do you have any <laughs> questions so i want to read you word for word what he sent me okay. <laughs> i suppose i would ask about the thought process that led to deciding to put pen to paper when those lovely thoughts that eventually became novels came to fruition. For example, some people would have a nightmare about a sentient whale's uterus devouring the Florida Keys <laughs> and immediately seek out pharmaceutical inventions to prevent said thought from ever returning. Other folks have the same vision and think, sweet crippled Christ, that was delightful. I need to share that with the world. I'm curious as to when it clicked that the stories in your head just might actually be something other folks are interested in. Oh, I, I can <laughs> tell you exactly what it happened. Um, it happened in the fifth grade. <laughs> oh, tell so us more. When I, was, when I was eight years old, uh, my dad took me to the newsstand with him and he bought a a package of mail pouch chewing tobacco and a hunting magazine. And he bought me two comic books, Captain America and the Falcon and uh, the Defenders. And it was 1976. I, I remember it. You know, I get home. I read those comic books cover to cover. Then I read them again with a dictionary looking up the words I didn't understand. Oh. And then on the third reread, I noticed the little caption box it said written by, you know, written by Jack Kirby, written by Steve Gerber. And, it clicked in my head. This is a job you can have as a grown-up. So ah. I started, you know, I was Clark's age or younger, and I was making my own little comic books. Um, so I was always writing, but they were just to entertain me or occasionally my friends. In fifth grade, now I know this may surprise you, but I was a, a problematic student. Um, you don't say. I was a bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> and I was not known for doing my homework. Always managed to pass, but seldom did homework. Um, you know, I just did really, really well in the tests. So we got this assignment for Halloween. We were supposed to write a scary story. 
And here's a homework assignment that I was actually excited about. So I sat at the kitchen table for four nights and I wrote this story about this, this rabid beaver fighting these hunters <laughs> and uh, turned it in. And teacher says, well, obviously you copied this from somebody. I'm like, no, no, I didn't. I worked hard on this. You asshole. He calls my parents and he, he's like, you know, you need to come in. Brian obviously copied this story. I just can't figure out from where. And they're like, no, oh, they're like, look, we are always on him to do his homework. He never does. We were surprised as you when he sat at the table for four nights and wrote this story. We saw him do it. Um, and teacher never gave me the story back. And I found out when I got to, to junior high school, I found out that he was making copies and handing it out to the students when he'd have them do this assignment. Like, here's what I'm looking for. <gasps> so wow. to answer your question, Doug, that was that was when it was in fifth grade when I was, you know, smoking stolen Marlboros that I got from the high school <laughs> in the middle school building and, uh, you know, reading comic books and, you know, fighting with my teacher over over. I want my story back. That was when I realized, hey, people will pay attention to me if I write these ideas. Out. That is amazing. And, you know, uh, Doug shared something a little bit more personal for him, but one of the reasons that he fell in love with you and your writing so much where you were the first adult who made references to the bands that he loved, like Anthrax and like uh, the, all of that kind of music. He was like, there was no other adult in my life who was like talking about these bands. And here was this man who was like writing about them in his books. Yeah. <laughs> it just created this different level of connection because he was like, this guy gets me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know, what's sad. I do that now. And my pre-readers check me. They're like, you know, you're writing about a protagonist that's 30 years old. He doesn't remember buying Master of Puppets when it came out, Brian. Right. I'm like, yeah, you're right. His father would remember that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's what I was into. And I, I figured, you know, King was doing the same thing with, with Springsteen and, you know, uh, Larry Underwood from The Stand. He was a, an amalgam of every yacht rock artist that was out at the time, you know. I, I wanted to do the same thing, but you know, it's, it's anthrax and Queensryche and then the stuff I was digging. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, if you had ever told me that, you know, years later now anthrax is Charlie Benante and I just finished working on something together. Um, you Shut know, up. yeah. Be out next year. I think it's supposed to be out. It was supposed to be out this year, but now I'm told next year. Um, yeah. I, I can remember. Okay. This is funny. Um, <laughs> My earliest dust jacket photo, it, it was one my, my wife at the time took, we're in Gettysburg, and I had on my, my anthrax hoodie. And I wasn't really thinking about what I was wearing. It was just, it was a good backdrop, backdrop and we needed a dust jacket photo. So Scott Ian from Anthrax, he had a, a lifetime subscription to Cemetery Dance. Every book they publish, he gets a copy of. And it was back in the days of MySpace. And I get this message from Scott Ian, supposedly, he says, hey, you know, big fan, um, just got the, the new Cemetery Dance book. Thanks for representing us in your dust jacket photo. And I didn't think it was Scott Ian. I thought it was, you know, J.F. Gonzalez and Rath and those guys fucking with me. <laughs> so 
So, because there's no picture or anything. So I, I type in, yeah, fuck you, this is Scotty, and I'm slamming the old cocksucker. <laughs> and then he's like, no, really, this is Scotty, and I got a subscription with Cemetery. So I email Rich at Cemetery Dance, and I'm like, hey, does Scotty in from Anthrax have a subscription? Oh, yeah, he likes your books. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just totally told him to go fuck himself. Wow. Hey, Mr. Ah! Ian, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Mr. Ian. <laughs> Mr. Ian. That probably cracked him up. But yeah, I'm no, sorry, I, you know, I, I that's that's the thing. I I I loved all that stuff, and you know, they were all coming up in that era too. And it, it was like, you know, you want to promote other other art that brings you joy and makes you happy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Do you like uh Rollins, Henry Rollins? Oh yeah, love Henry Rollins. You know he's gonna be at the Whitaker Center like in two weeks, dude. Are you going? I can't, unfortunately. I got my kid has a school event that night. My husband and I are gonna try to go, but it's like a Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday night or something. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, what an amazing opportunity. So close. Well. We're going to take a very brief break here momentarily. Okay. Do a little ad shout out to Godless, who's one of our our only sponsor. Honestly. Yay. They're, the only Yay. Ones, they're the only ones willing to, to support us at this point. <laughs> and then we will be back with the rapid fire four. All right. And hang on a second. Hey kids, looking for a way to affordably access the best and wildest independent extreme horror currently in existence? Godless Horrors is the place to be. Go to www.godless.com to gain access to thousands of extreme horror and splatterpunk books from the genre's best and brightest independent authors. Godless Horrors offers every title in their catalog in a variety of formats to ensure compatibility with your favorite digital reading device. Strapped for cash? No worries. Godless has a fantastic collection of free titles ready for instant download, with other titles in their collection rarely exceeding $3 to $4. Again, go to www.godless.com or download the app and tell them what the fuck you're looking for. Come join the Godless tribe today. Forever delightfully deviant, forever godless. Can we carpool to AuthorCon? Gas is expensive. (laughs) Centralia for the day. Oh my God. I was going to, I forgot to mention. So my parents, we lived. I was born at Bloomsburg Hospital and we moved to Chambersburg in 87. But my dad was the priest at Trinity Episcopal on Washington Street in Schmokin. And at that time, you could still go into Centralia and drive through it. And when we had weekends where we didn't have a lot of money, that's what we would do. My parents would just put us in the car and drive through Centralia. And like we would drive by all of the pipes and the smoke would be billowing out of the ground and then come to find out like it was only like five years later, some kid fell through the road 
Yeah. I was like, you were driving your two children in a super station wagon through the town with the giant mine fire burning <laughs> under it. We could have fallen in at any time. But for us, it was just a Sunday drive. <laughs> yeah, Mary, Mary and I still, we've, we've gone up there every fall for 10 years, 11 years now, I guess. And we, we still, every year we go up. It's, it's not the same now as it was. Of course, Graffiti oh. Highway is gone and the fires have moved far, far back in the woods. I mean, I, I can find them. I know my way around up there pretty well. Um, but it, it's a very different experience now. But I've, I've been lucky enough to take photos of some of the same locations over the last decade. And it's amazing when you line them up in order just how much things have changed. It's one of my clearest memories, even from being four or five years old, is driving through Centralia and the pipes, the vent pipes and the smoke and the lack of people and the cracks in the, the road. I so clearly, so clearly remember it because it was just such an odd experience. I, I would love to see some of those pictures sometimes because it is so vivid in my memory and you're exactly right. What it is now is nothing compared to what I remember from almost 40 years ago. So, oh, oh, horrible environmental disasters, (laughs) such sweet nostalgia. (laughs) You want to do the rapid fire four? Let's do it. Bring it on. All right, Dusty Buns. This is going to be four questions, four answers, zero time to think ahead. We need an answer immediately. So much for the smart people questions. Here comes the dumb buddy. Let's do this. <laughs> Dustin. Hey, wait, wait. Who's, who's going first? Dustin's going to hit you first. Dustin's going to hit you first. Dumb goes with me first. Okay. If someone were to write a memoir about you, what would it be called? World Domination 101. Or how I made very little money writing horror fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Or how I made very little money writing over a hundred (laughs) books. Why? Is that the question or is that the question? That's the question. Why not? That's the question. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Why would you call it World Domination 101? How to make uh, little money writing books. I, I actually, that used to be a, a, a long time joke. I was going to do a memoir called uh, World Domination 101. How I made thousands of fans very little money and pissed a lot of people off for writing <laughs> horror fiction. Um, instead, the memoir ended up being called End of the Road. And it's probably a, a better title anyway. But I don't know. I, I like World Domination 101. It has a vibe to it that really speaks to my soul. <laughs> you might want to reconsider like a a, a, a republished thing of that. <laughs> my brain was just like, let's be even dumber in that one second. Okay. You ready? If ready. I sat you down and I put an explosive collar on your neck, battle royale style, and I told you you had 30 minutes to write a book for my kids or the collar would explode and your head would blow up, what would that children's book be called and what would it be about? I would have to take five minutes to think about the title, but would it be about the stuffed animals behind you? <gasps> how... Squishmallow Mountain? Squishmallow. Yeah. And how the kid wakes up and you're gone and he doesn't know where you are, but the stuffed animals are there to keep him safe and protect him. <gasps> that 
almost sounds like real life. What would it be called? <laughs> Where did mommy go? <laughs> <laughs> That's not traumatic at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, and it turns out the stuffed animals were behind your disappearance all along. So I got eaten by the big one. <laughs> oh, it was this one. It was this one. She ate me. <laughs> Ooh, I'm a mess. Dustin. Ah, okay, this is kind of this is juicy. Which of your characters is your least favorite and why? Least favorite. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with Nodens, the omnipresent darkness from Darkness on the Edge of Town, Ghost Walk, oh. and the Labyrinth series, uh, because it's very difficult to write about an omnipresent darkness that doesn't <laughs> speak or express or emote <laughs> and only devours things. Wow, yeah. that, is, that would that be hard. That was a really great idea that. on your part. <laughs> Way to make life easy on yourself. <laughs> Here's a big one. <laughs> Who would you rather choose? Who would you choose to back you up in a vicious street fight? The 42-year-old pregnant lady or the guy in the wheelchair? I come I with choose... metal parts. <laughs> I, I can only choose one. <laughs> yes. All right, then I'm going with the guy in the wheelchair, and here's my thought process why. <laughs> I'm gonna shove him out of the chair. At the attackers, slow yeah. them down long enough for me to bust some of those spokes out of the wheelchair to use uh -huh. as weapons. And then we'll fuck some shit up. Okay. I so like I, your I, I, yeah. I appreciate I you uh, you taking one for me there, Dusty Buns. But right. <laughs> I like your Save management. Brian Keen. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I will sacrifice myself to Brian Keen. Yes, <laughs> it's not the first time this year I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I felt after I saw you in your gold bra at AuthorCon. Yeah. I will gold I bra. will lay down my life for this man. And the leggings. This is gorgeous. <laughs> now, that was a special oh go ahead. Go ahead. I was just I was gonna say I, I blame David Lee Roth. I grew up wanting to be David Lee Roth. When I was 10 years old, David Lee Roth. And to a lesser extent, Han Solo and Burt Reynolds, the bandit, were the coolest motherfuckers on the planet. Um <laughs> And if you look at my career and my public persona, I, I think that shows. Um, you mentioned the gold bra. I did it because it was a great thing to do for charity, but also because I knew it would get a laugh and it would get some attention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, I just wanted to wear the bra. Yeah. I mean, charity is the secondary game. <laughs> and it's a fucking awesome bra. <laughs> it was. <laughs> now, that was a special fourth question because my dusty buttons is here but the traditional fourth question for season two is if you suddenly came across an angry michael myers in the wilderness which trauma response would you default to fight flight or freeze fight fight finally finally rj benetti was like i'm gonna run <laughs> And ain't gonna the work man, out for you. The man, the man walks like three steps a minute. He was like, right. "I can just, I can just saunter that way." Chandler Moore said that work. he's gonna freeze because he looks stupid when he runs. Okay, and so he would rather just die 
then have someone even like Michael Myers actually see him well, attempt to run. So I appreciate the fight. Tell me more about the fight. Look, I, I first of all, RJ Benetti, what a delightful writer he is. He's Met him for the first friend. time this year. That kid blew me away. I heard him do a reading at AuthorCon. He blew me away. Uh, Chandler, I love you, kiddo, but you know the only reason you're freezing is because you probably have Gucci's or some other bullshit on your right. feet. Oh, that was it. He said he's also wearing cowboy boots and he can't possibly run in cowboy Does Gucci make cowboy boots? Yes. All right, well, um, and he's wearing fight. sunglasses, so he can't see where he's going. Fight. I'm, you know, I'll be 55 this month. If I run, I ain't gonna run that far. No. Uh, <laughs> If I freeze, chances are within 30 seconds of freezing, I'm going to have to pee. Um, so, you know, I'm going to fight. Um, yes. when, you're, when you get to be my age, you've done it all. You've seen it all. It's hard to challenge yourself. I, I would like to think that Michael Myers would probably wipe the floor with my ass, but I would like to think that I'd give him a run for his money before he'd he remember you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I I'd say, that you know, time I, I know you're going to kill me, but you're going to lose an arm doing it, pal. <laughs> as far as we know, you can't regenerate. You're not Jason, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know. My, I mean, he went to space, right? Jason, Jason he went yeah, to Jay space. Oh, yeah. He fought. He Didn't he fight the Predator? No, no, that was Alien. Probably in the comic book. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did in the comic book. Yeah. Now, Jason with with Jason, would... my response would be very different. I would do the one thing no one has ever tried in any of the movies. Mm -hmm. Pull the beer out. So you want a beer? He's like eight. I know. Brian. What if, <laughs> when I was eight and the high school kids said, hey, hey, little Brian, you want a beer? And they'd hand me an old Milwaukee pounder. Hell yeah, eight-year-old Brian wanted a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try to be his buddy. Did you did you have a chance to read Bonetti's uh just another bloodbath at Lake Wobegon? Not yet. I bought everything he wrote. Oh uh, yeah. I have them all in my TBR pile. Uh but yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to all his all his stuff. We call him spaghetti, and actually he was our season two opener. His episode just dropped last night, and we actually talk a lot about you. Oh, so really? You might you might wanna uh listen to that one if you want to feed your ego even more because we're okay. like brian Keane. it's like oh my god brian Keane, let me read past three minutes he, he <laughs> reminds me very much i don't know if y'all are ryan harding fans uh yes you know, he's coming on here in a couple weeks too. ryan is a, a very old very dear friend and you know we started at the same time and rj benetti really reminds me of ryan back in the day uh, that same energy, that same delivery, that same writing style. Um, yeah, what a treat he is. I, I like him a lot. I expect good things from him. Oh, he is going to be so excited to hear that. <laughs> He's like my adopted baby brother. He's just going to be thrilled. You're a nice man, Brian Keen. Oh, that's <laughs> not what the internet will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been nice to me, and that's all that matters. Okay. Me and Dustin are the only ones that matter. So. Except, you know, for when I push Dustin out in front of the street gang. Yeah. Hey, Just hey, film it. This hey. is a viral time. It needs to be filmed. That's yeah, it. he said it was okay. All right. And that'll help us 
be TikTok famous. So my last word will be me yelling consent as I go flying out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Brian Keen. If the people would like to contact you, follow you more closely, learn more about what you've got out there, what's available, what's coming up, where are the places you would like them to find you online to do that? Well, you know, when I was starting out, we didn't have all this social media. We just had websites. So. <laughs> so, yeah, if you go to, if you go to, if you get off Facebook or TikTok, there's a whole other internet out there. And one of Whoa. the places you can go is called brainkin.com. Um, so everything's there. I'm, I'm on social media. The thing I'm most active on is Twitter. Uh, I check in with Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that about once a week. Uh, I'm not on TikTok because my 14-year-old made me promise he could have a social media space that his dad hadn't infected. So <laughs> uh, I'm not on there. But, Tell him to follow us. Okay. But yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> if you want to interact with me, definitely Twitter. If you want to learn more about me or my books, BrianKeen.com. Awesome. What's your Twitter handle again? Brian Keen. Brian Keen. No dashes, no nope. nothing. Just bump up. Oh, perfect. Nope. And for more information on Mr. Brian Keen, as well as our dear Dustin at Captain Crippy on TikTok, he is a member of the Mothers of Mayhem official Facebook group. So come join us there. You can also find their links to the Mom Merch Store, our ultimate fan community reading soundtrack playlists on YouTube Merch. and Spotify. I tried to make one for you, Brian Keen. You've written way too many books. I'm sorry. With way too many musical <laughs> references for me to pick out. We did one for Chandler because he only has like, what, six books. I was like, well, that's not so bad, but you were impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried as a gift to you and I failed. Stop being so prolific. <laughs> we also offer exclusive information, content, giveaway opportunities, and so much more. As always, you can send your questions, comments, pictures of dildos for Christina, and memes of my mortal enemy, Zach Baggins, to yeah. our email address. Yeah, I fucking hate that guy. I hope you're not friends with Zach Baggins. Anthropomorphic shark is one of my favorite things you've ever seen. Yes, he is an anthropomorphic shark, right? I don't, I'm not sure I know Zach Baggins. Oh, good. He's the host of Ghost Adventures and he's awful. I hate him. <laughs> I, I've, I've never, what, I don't even know. What, I'm assuming Ghost Adventures is one of those those bullshit quote-unquote reality shows. Yes, yes. on yeah, like I, TLC. Then yeah, I guarantee you I'm not aware of Zach Baggins. Oh, Oh, good, because he's a hater. Well, Zach, One day. If, does he hate listening to the show? Because if so, then Zach Frodo called and he'd like his fucking surname back. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a better man than you'll ever be. And he was only he was only a halfling, Zach. <laughs> and he was only two and a half feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Did we lose her? Nope. Are we back? Was that it, Dustin? We lost her. We lost her. All right. I'll fill in for one more time. Thank you to our our sponsor, Godless. Uh, Check them out at I don't know. What is it? Godless.com? Yep. We'll say Godless. She's nodding yes. Okay. (laughs) Just type in Godless Publishing. There you go. You're a natural at this, sir. 
I, I may have hosted a podcast for a little while. Well, you popped my podcast, Jerry, and I thank you very, very much. Well, I thank you. And you guys uh, keep up the good work, and I really appreciate it. And uh, have me back again sometime. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Honor. See you all later. Bye. Bye-bye. Life is a joke. Death is the punchline. Oh, la 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 la